Okay, if you guys haven't met me before, I'm Shaney Ramirez, and I am team teaching with uh, Mickey and Elizabeth this time around. So I'm very excited to be here. And let's pray to get started. Lord, I just thank you for giving us the time and the place to be able to come together and study your word. Thank you that we have access to your word. I pray that you would give us all new hunger and desire to want to be in your word, to know you better through your word. And tonight, I'm sure we've come from all kinds of different busy activities. I pray that you would just quiet our hearts as we focus on you. Um, I offer, Holy Spirit, this time to you. Ask that you be our teacher, that you guide my words, guard my mouth. And I recognize that apart from you, I can do nothing. But with you, I am sure that you are going to teach us some awesome things tonight. So we just honor you and dedicate this time to you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we are in the letter of 1 John. 1 John is a letter from the Apostle John. We talked about that last week. This is not John the Baptist, just to clarify, since he's another common, well-known John in the Bible. And it is to all believers in Christ. It was circulated among the churches around Ephesus near the end of the first century and categorized in the New Testament as an epistle. Mickey explained that in the introduction last week. And if you are listening on audio, you can listen to that on audio last week. And from here on out, each one will be recorded. And if you need notes and you are not here in person, you may call the church office and get those notes as well. So it is an epistle, but it actually reads more like a poetic sermon than a typical letter, since it doesn't tell us who it's from or who it's to. But scholars do generally agree that John is the author because the language is so similar to the Gospel of John and because at least two and also more historical figures Polycarp, who was a direct disciple of John, and then Irenaeus, who was a disciple of Polycarp, both attribute this letter to John, and they were in immediate contact. So we, we believe that that is who wrote it. And many of the ideas in this book came straight from Jesus' teachings that you'll find in John chapter 13 through 17, which is the basis for what we did in our last study when we studied the prayer of John in chapter 17. So if you have time this week besides reading 1 John, John chapters 13 through 17 is a great place to go. I won't give you a detailed outline for 1 John because there are as many versions of an outline as there are people who attempt to make one. Seriously, I've looked. And it's because John doesn't follow an obvious linear thought process. Instead, he uses repetition, and he circles back to his points over and over again, but doing it in a slightly different way so that you get the point. This circular way of writing is called amplification, and we'll actually see that in the video we're going to watch in a minute. John also has a habit of sandwiching difficult truths, some things we call exhortation when you have to say things and call people out to do what they need to do, he, he puts that in between tender-hearted affirmation and encouragement. So it'll kind of go back and forth, which I think is a very helpful way to teach and makes the exhortation easier to receive. In broad terms, 1 John has an introduction and a conclusion with two general topics in the middle. So it won't be necessarily five. It's five chapters, but it's not like every chapter is something different. That's kind of how the broad makeup is. And each of those two uh, general 
sections in the middle start with the words, this is the message. The first one is, this is the message, God is light. And the second one is, God is love. And then everything he says is that those who truly belong to him will reflect both. What is very obvious about this letter is that John has a pastoral heart. More than an apologist who's just trying to get the doctrine across, you can see his heart. And he is writing to strengthen the faith of his beloved fellow believers. He wants to make sure they have a strong foundation, both of Christian doctrine and practice. And we know that there are some people who have left the church. It says that in the letter. And so John addresses their leaving. And some of his points are directed toward refuting false doctrines that were creeping into the church. And I'm not going to explain those now, but we'll address them as we come across them in the letter. Okay? You will find that John makes this letter more practical than intellectual. While constantly he reminds us of truth, he also points out that how we live is the best indicator of what we really believe and who we belong to. Think about that sentence. How we live is really the best indicator of what we really believe and who we belong to. Therefore, we will find many ways to test or recognize whether or not someone is a true follower of Christ and child of God. Now, to start, we're going to watch a nine-minute video that gives an overview of all three letters, actually. And I have to change the input on here real quick. If you are listening and you want to watch this video, you can find it at thebibleproject.com. And you just look for the letters of John. Oh, I've got to do this. Aha, here we are. There's a first, second, and third John. First John is actually anonymous, but second and third John are written by someone who's called the Elder. Now the language and style of all three of these works are identical to each other and to John's Gospel. And so most people think that all of them come from the disciple that Jesus loved. Now that could be John the son of Zebedee, one of the twelve apostles, or it could be another John among Jesus' earliest disciples known as John the Elder. Whichever John it was, He's now in his old age, and he's overseeing a network of house church communities that are likely around the city of ancient Ephesus. Now, from clues within the gospel and from these letters, it seems that these communities were made up mostly of Jewish followers of Jesus, and that they had recently gone through a crisis that motivated John to write these letters. He mentions that a group of people have broken off from these churches. These people no longer acknowledge Jesus as Israel's Messiah or as the Son of God and they're stirring up hostility among those who stayed faithful to the churches. In fact, 2nd and 3rd John clearly address this conflict. 2nd John is a warning to a specific house church. There are people who deny Jesus. John calls them deceivers. And they're probably going to come looking for validation or support. And this church community is not to offer any. 3rd John is actually written to a member of one of these house churches, a man named Gaius. And the elder asks him to welcome legitimate missionaries who are going to arrive soon. He has to tell them to do this because the leader of that church community, Diotrephes, is acting like a jerk. And he's rejecting anybody associated with John the elder. And so these letters give us a window into the tension and conflict that John faced in these churches. And 1 John was written as a response to all of this as a form of damage control. The elder assures those who still believe in the Messiah, Jesus, that God is with them as they adhere to the truth. And so all of this helps us understand the uniqueness of 1 John, which is actually not a letter at all. It reads more like a poetic sermon sent to these churches. John says that he's not communicating new information. In fact, almost all of the key ideas and words in 1 John come right out of Jesus' teachings in the Gospel of John. And so John's goal is to remind them and persuade these Christians to stay true to what they already say they believe. 
The poetic quality of John's sermon is really cool. He doesn't develop his ideas in a linear or logical way. Rather, he uses a well-known technique of ancient rhetoric called amplification. So John has just a few core ideas he wants to communicate about life and truth and love. And he's going to cycle around these ideas repeatedly, each time offering a little bit different of an angle or emphasis. He uses a lot of hyperbole, he uses very stark contrasts with simple images of light and dark and love and hate and good and evil. But don't let the simplicity of 1 John fool you, this work is deeply profound. There's a clear introduction to 1 John and then a clear conclusion. And the flowing cycles of the sermon in between these two don't follow any kind of rigid literary design. But there do seem to be two larger sections. Each one is marked off by the introductory phrase, this is the message. And then each is followed by a repetition of images about how God is first light, and then how God is love. And all of the ideas in these two parts flow out of and cycle back into these two core ideas. So the introduction is very similar to the prologue of the Gospel of John. It has echoes of Genesis chapter 1 and Proverbs chapter 8. John speaks of the word of life that was with God in the beginning. For John, the word God refers to both the Father and the Son, who came to bring life into the world. And so those who saw and heard and touched the Son are called we. John's referring to himself and the apostles who were eyewitnesses of Jesus. And so now we have a message for you, the next generation of Jesus' followers. So when the apostles share the word of life with others, these others are also brought into fellowship with the Father and the Son through the apostles. The word fellowship here is koinonia in Greek. It means a participation or sharing. When people hear the message about Jesus through the apostles, that message brings them into a real relationship with Jesus himself and into a real participation in God's own love and life. And so this flows right into the first main section. This is the message. God is light. This is the message of the apostles that the God revealed in Jesus is light. And so, if people want to participate in God's own life through Jesus, they need to keep walking in the light. Which is a really cool image, but what does it mean? It means, for John, to keep Jesus' commands. And that's hard, so when you fail, Jesus' atoning death will cover for your sins. And then once again, you're called to get up and obey Jesus' teachings. But which one of his teachings? John reminds the churches of Jesus' old-slash-new command given to the disciples at the Last Supper that they love one another as he loved them. Doing this is walking in the light. Now, if God's light is now shining through Jesus, then that means the world's darkness is passing away, which also means that God's children already, in this moment, have victory over the sin and evil and death that reigns in the world. And so that leads John to challenge the churches, don't love the world, because it's passing away too. He's referring here specifically to pride and sexual corruption. Likely, these are problems connected to the conflict that was happening in the churches. And so this leads John to warn the churches about these people who have left the communities and who deny Jesus as the Messiah. John calls them the anti-Messiahs and deceivers. But he's confident that those who still know the truth about Jesus are, in fact, the true children of God. And they are loved by the Father. And they show that they're part of God's family when they do righteousness and when they love one another, unlike the deceivers who are generating anger and strife and division. And so this transitions into the second main section of the sermon. This is the message of the apostles, John says, that God is love. And so God's children should love one another and avoid hatred. Don't be like Cain from Genesis chapter 4, John says. His hatred led him to murder his brother. But for Christians... Love is defined by giving up one's life as a sacrifice for the well-being of others. That's what Jesus did. And when God's children trust in that love for them, it changes them. And so John warns once again of the deceivers. This time he calls them false prophets. When they deny Jesus is the Messiah, they apparently claim to speak for God. But John says to test the spirits. If anyone claims to speak on God's behalf, but doesn't focus on Jesus as the crucified Son of God, they do not speak for God, John says. God's true children will center their whole lives on the crucified and risen Jesus, because that's where we see God's true heart revealed. 
we see on the cross that God is a being of total self-giving love. And that love is what compels Jesus' followers to love others in the same way. And when people meet this God of love, it does away with fear and angst forever. Which is part of what John means by having victory over the world. When you realize that God so loves you, that he is crazy about you despite your deepest flaws and failures, that love becomes the thing that grounds your entire life. This love is what comes through trusting in the crucified Jesus. It comes through trusting God's testimony about Jesus given by the Spirit. And it's trusting in the message from the apostles about Jesus. And when God's love gets a hold of you, it opens up eternal life. It's a life permeated with God's own presence and life and love, and it begins now carrying on into eternity. And so this leads John to the climactic conclusion of his sermon. He says, We know the Son of God has come, and so we can know the one who is true. And we are in the one who is true, in his Son, Jesus the Messiah. This is the true God and eternal life. Now, if your head's kind of spinning after hearing that sentence, and you're wondering, wait, who is the one who is true? Who is the one who gives true life? Is it Jesus, or is it God? And John's answer is, of course, yes. John doesn't know any God apart from Jesus. And when he and the other apostles encountered Jesus, they discovered the God who loves us so deeply that he has chosen not to exist without us, despite our failures. And this God is so surprising so unexpected that John's final words call us to keep away from idols, that is, to resist any temptation to remake the surprising God in our own image. To know Jesus is to know the God of creative, life-giving, others-centered love. This, John says, is the one true God. And that's what the letters of John are all about. Did you get all that? I have watched this so many times, not just this year, but in past years, and he crams so much in to every video. If you have the time and the desire, I would consider watching it often throughout this study, because I think it's a good uh, overview. All right. And I did bring this, in case you want to look at it at the end. This is a hard copy of every one of those drawings. He has one for every book of the Bible, every single book. And above it, it has the, um, the script of what he says while he's drawing it. So if you want to look at it, you can. I know it. It's in your notes, and yes, I think they actually took off the, because when I looked at it, it just said Bible Project. It was in blue in my copy, but it just looks like a light gray in yours. Okay. So, letters were intended to be read in one sitting. And since this one was written to an oral culture, it was written to be heard. Most of the times when these letters were circulated, someone would read it out loud to whoever was listening. Therefore, I'm going to read the whole letter out loud to you. Don't be disappointed that I'm not just reciting the whole thing this time. Bo, this is what I want you to do while you're listening. If you need to follow along in order to stay focused, because I know sometimes people need to do that, that's, that's fine. But what I would encourage you to do is try to just listen, as people would have when they got the letter, and use the next page in your notes it's a blank page, and I want you to jot down whatever stands out to you while you're listening. Specifically, try to make note of repeated words, phrases, and themes, because there will be a lot of repeated words, phrases, and themes as we go on, okay? Um, and then when I finish together, we're going to use the old-fashioned whiteboard and make a list of things that you noticed and what stood out to you, okay? And before I read scripture, I always pray. So, Lord, as we pray, as we read your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do your work in each one of our hearts, that you would quicken us to hear and understand. 
In Jesus' name. 1 John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet, I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, young men, I'm sorry, I write to you, fathers, because you know him 
who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. So do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the anti-Christ, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. And whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you... The anointing you received from him remains on you and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. 
Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them? How can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, We know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another just as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is Love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us 
he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For the, there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater, because it is the testimony of God, which He has given about his son. Whoever believes in the son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one can harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding 
so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Did you have the stamina to stay focused through all of that? It's not easy. And I know in our culture, most of us don't have the stamina to read or listen to something that long. But I wanted to do it because I think it's good for us to teach ourselves and push ourselves to gain that stamina, to be able to go through large portions of Scripture. And that's how it was originally meant to be heard. So it's good for us. All right. Now, some of you all had smoke coming off of those papers. You guys were writing so much. What words stood out to you? Words, phrases, themes, what stood out to you? Life, was that the first one? Life or light? We heard, I got two colors here. We heard light. Word of life. Word of life. Yes. Eternal life. Abide was not really in my version, but yes, it is a very important word. And what other word? Remain. Remain. Yes, sometimes it's translated remain. All right. Well, I got to get this liar up here. He says it many times. Continue. Spirit. Woo! Fellowship, not yet. Truth. Hold on, there was one over here. There was another one. Sin. Deceit. I'm going to put it up here because it said sin is lawlessness. Hatred. Hate. Oh, I guess I can use that. Hatred. Anti-Christ. In the video, he called that the anti-Messiah. Death. Darkness. Oh, finally. I wondered when we were... That's why I picked out red. Love. I think you said something else that I missed before love. Overcome. Complete. Complete. Ooh, sacrifice. Continues on there. Victory. Woo. I didn't know I was going to have to write so much tonight. Confidence. We have confidence. That's what I was looking for. He says many times that we can know things. We don't have to wonder. Any phrases besides just words? I like the very uh huh. This. Let me finish this one and then I'll listen. This is how we know. Did you notice that many times? Mm-hmm. I like from the beginning. And from the beginning. Uh, yep. Whoever has, whoever has the son has yep. Son. I'll put up here son with life. Children. Okay. I think I'm going to stop, but you guys are doing really, really well. Okay. You may turn your page if you haven't already. I hope you didn't do it early. Here are the actual most used keywords in 1 John and how many times they occur. Now, this will vary a little bit, obviously, according to translation or version of the Bible. But God is what was used the most. This is not using words like the and is, but all the main words, right? Second was love. 
then know. Specifically, many times, this is how we know, or we know, or you know. Life or live, Jesus, Christ, Son, any way that he is named, sin, the world, truth or true. And how many times does he say, dear children or dear friends? And there's how, which was part of the, this is how we know. The spirit he talks a lot about this is how we can know by the spirit and his commands. And then light was less than I thought. That was the first one you all said. And it only had six, but it is still an important concept. It was one of the main messages. So I have some handouts that we're going to be using as we go throughout the next six weeks. And they are for the purpose of filling them out as we go along. So I just want to call attention to what they are. Um, I think in the order you have them, one of them's called Marks of a True Disciple. So as we go through, I want us to note, oh, this is what he says is what a true disciple of Christ will look like. And tonight at the end of class, we're going to put the first one on there. So don't write it on there yet. Then we have a page that says, this is how. And this is for us to put all in one place. If you like, you know, I gather, because he's going to say it here, there, 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 and everywhere. And we're going to gather into one page. This is all the things that, where he says, this is how we can know, or this is how we recognize, or this is how whatever. Then we have one that I called summary statements. I think these are helpful because a lot of times there'll be a passage and he kind of explains things, and at the very end, he'll have a summary that kind of a, takes everything into account. And I thought those might be helpful to have together. And the last one is the one that I've been working on the most. And I made you a little line because it's two columns, and that's why I was trying to do this. And next week, we're going to do a little bit more with this. But if you want to, even throughout the week, if you're reading this letter throughout the week, try to set up words in each column because you will find, remember in the video he said he uses a lot of stark contrast mm -hmm. and you will find over and over. I, I just put as your first kind of titles of each column, good and evil. Not necessarily that he uses those words in his letter, but he talks about light and darkness, love and hate, and I won't do them all for you. Mm -hmm. But there is a lot of, and the reason I named it the cosmic battle is because we just came through the truth project and he was constantly referring to, and that's what this is. Even all the great movies of our day, it's this cosmic battle between good and evil, light and darkness. And John refers to a lot of things that way. And uh, so if you want to start filling out these pages as we go, you're welcome to do it at home. We'll do some in class. But like I said, the marks of a true disciple, we're going to do the first one here in a minute. Any... Other comments you want to add before I move on? Good, because I'm kind of running late. <clears throat> okay, I'm going to try to do just the introduction tonight since we read the whole book, but I want, remember how uh, Mickey talked about sometimes it's hard to see the forest through the trees? Mm -hmm. So we wanted to see the forest. That's what this is. The, the, the big general principles that, we, that stand out to us. But now we're going to look at the first tree where we just go in deeper into one section, and that's just going to be these first four verses. And he starts out by saying, that which was from the beginning. Now, you probably already know it, but we have to look at Genesis 1 and John 1 when he starts this way. Does anybody want to just recite to me Genesis 1, 1? Okay, so John is calling to mind, this is the beginning of everything. And he is talking about the person who was there in the beginning. When he says, that which was from the beginning. John 1, if anybody already went there, read the first three verses, please. He was in the beginning with God. 
all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Exactly. So this person who was in the beginning, who was with God, who was the Word, and who was God, was part of creation. Nothing that was made was made without him, and everything that was made was made with him. We also see that in Colossians. So John is bringing this big, important truth to the very beginning. We're talking about a pre-existent Jesus here. And let me move on before I get ahead of myself. So this person who was from the beginning, which we have heard. I thought of Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing. They heard him, which we have seen with our eyes. This is eyewitness testimony. This is not secondhand. It's not somebody heard from somebody else from somebody else. These people heard him and saw him. And then he says, we have looked at him and our hands have touched. This physical, personal, personal physical contact is very important because one of the ideas that John is refuting is the beginnings of Gnosticism. And the Gnostics said that Jesus didn't have a physical body. He was spirit. He kind of floated. He didn't leave footsteps. And they said, I think John specifically says, we've heard him, we've seen him, we've touched him. This is who we proclaim. Now that little phrase is actually not in the original. And some of the versions now will have it in there. It just doesn't flow very well. It doesn't make very much sense because it just next says concerning the word of life. But he's just saying this person who I'm talking about, this is the word of life. And we're going to look deeply at those two words in Greek. The logos we've talked about before. The word, the one that we read about in John 1. This is from a commentary I wrote down where you can find it. But it was important for John and for the Greek and Jewish worlds, this word. For the Jew, God was often referred to as the word because they knew God perfectly revealed himself in his word. For the Greek, their philosophers had spoken for centuries about the logos. This is the basis for organization and intelligence in the universe. He was called the ultimate reason which controls all things. And it is as if John said to everyone, this logos you have been talking about and writing about for centuries, well, we have heard him, seen him, studied him, and touched him. Now let me tell you about him. <laughs> it's like using that phrase, the word of life, would have drawn in all sorts of audiences, which I thought was just brilliant. Um, and then the word life can be translated three ways in the New Testament. It comes from, I mean, these three words all can be translated as life. But sometimes life is bios, which is physical life. And you can see we get our word biology from there. An example is in Luke 8. That's actually the parable of the seed. That's, and it talks about the, the life. I'm not going to go into it because I want you guys to have time in your groups tonight, but you can look that up. The second way is, I call it suki, if that's correct pronunciation. And that's where we get psychology. So this is the soul life. And the example there from Matthew is, um, is when it says that you could... Um, Lose your life. Wait, how am I going to say this right? Gain the whole world, but lose your soul. Thank you very much. That's the life word there translated. Um, and then Zoe is the one that is right here in this part, and actually all throughout First John. And Zoe is the divine life that is uniquely possessed by God, but it is also given by Christ to the saints. And if you remember from past studies, saints don't mean people who just behave really well. The saints are the believers. 
And so that, this is the life we're talking about, the Zoe life. And then I gave you some examples of where else you can find it in John's writings, where he talks about his purpose for the gospel of John is given at the end in chapter 20, so that by believing you may have life in his name. We know from John 10.10, he talks about that he came to give abundant life. He calls himself the resurrection and the life and the way, the truth, and the life. This is the life that we're talking about. Verse 2, the life appeared. Sometimes translated was manifested, meaning it existed before, but now it became visible to us in a form that we could see and touch and hear and all those things. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. You see his tendency to kind of review and restate what he said and make sure that you're remembering this is the life that was there in the beginning. He was with the Father, and now he has appeared to us. And this very clearly gives us the doctrine of the pre-existence of Jesus, who was fully human and fully divine. Then this is kind of his summary. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have, and then you can see that I added in there, what? He proclaims this gospel to us. So that we can have, what do you think should be there? I thought it was going to say eternal life. But he says, we proclaim this to you so that you also may have fellowship with us. And (laughs) I love the way he defines it. He's like, and by the way, this is not just any old fellowship. Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And I, I wrote down there that I, when I first read this, I fully expected it. I like to try to kind of test myself when I'm reading Scripture and think of what my understanding of doctrine thinks should come next to see if I'm right or wrong or where things need corrections. And I would have thought it would have said eternal life because that is what we get when we believe and follow Jesus, right? And when I tell people about Jesus... It's because I want them to also have eternal life. But do you remember how Jesus defined eternal life in John 17? Now this is eternal life. He's talking to God, so he says that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Exactly. So John's focus is always on relationship. And he basically is saying that they have eternal life. But the way he thinks of eternal life is through fellowship. Because that's what it is. We come into fellowship with God. And when we are one with him, we have God's life, that Zoe, in us. And that's why our life doesn't end. Because remember... Eternal life isn't a quantity of time. It's not that you just go on living forever. It's a quality of life. It's the God life. And that kind of life doesn't have an end. So this is why he's saying, I want you guys to remember that we are talking about relationship. John's way of looking at evangelism wasn't just getting people saved or giving them a ticket to heaven. His idea was about bringing them into the fellowship with God and also with us. And it's good for for me to remember that too when I'm sharing Jesus with people. So this word fellowship is koinonia. It means communion, joint participation. It can be an association. It is intimacy. And it can also be a contribution. The word fellowship is used by John four times, and all of them are in the first seven verses of this letter. Why? I believe firmly 
He is laying a foundation. He was talking about fellowship right at the very beginning because it is so important that we start with this foundation to build a healthy structure. Without it, these instructions about practical living, which you just heard, which we're going to hit on a lot over the next few weeks, can easily become a checklist of do's and don'ts that leads us to legalism. The goal is not behavior modification or a works-based mentality that looks at the outward appearance. We are more concerned with the inward work. John wants us to focus on relationship, consistent, intimate fellowship. And that's what produces the outward results. That's what the Bible calls fruit. And fruit is not something that you just try to force out. It is what naturally is produced in your life when you are in fellowship with the Father and with the Son and with other believers. All three of those. So what does fellowship look like? You might have remembered from the video, it is participating in God's life and in God's love. It's participating with him. And then he finishes by saying, we write this to make our, and there'll be a little asterisk in your Bible that says this can also be translated your, and I believe it's both. We write this to make our and your joy complete. It brings joy to all of us when we tell others about Jesus and bring them into our fellowship. So, marks of a true disciple. The very first thing that I think we should put on this list is that we must have a personal encounter with Jesus and enter into fellowship with God. He's saying, I'm sharing with you a person that I know. Well, he says we. And I'm glad he says we because he's not doing this all by himself. He will say I many other times in the letter. But he's saying we. We have heard him. We have seen him. We have touched him. And I think today we also have to have a personal encounter with Jesus. That's the first step. And I don't mean just hearing about him. I mean choosing that personal relationship, entering into fellowship. How can you share what you do not know or have not experienced? Now, our experience might not be the same as how John and the other disciples lived with Jesus, but we definitely each must meet him, must choose to believe in him, and then choose to follow him personally. That's our first mark. Choosing to enter into fellowship. And then just kind of as a conclusion, because John is about to get very practical, very personal up in your business, he's going to call us to show our faith through actions. And you heard him say things like, if you're not doing this, And you say you're walking with God, you're a liar. If you're not acting according to the way he teaches us, you don't really love God. I mean, he's saying some hard things. And since he's going to get so practical and call us on these things, I believe that's why he first lays the foundation of fellowship. Because everything we do flows out of our relationship with God. And I put there the reference... John 15 is the chapter on I'm the vine and you're the branches. And without me, you can do nothing. We have to be in fellowship. So we should not reduce this letter to a list, a checklist of things that we must do to somehow try to earn the status of a true believer. Marks of a true disciple is not something I want you to say, I got this, I got this, I got this. And so now I can be a true believer. No. It's about abiding, which we can call remaining, continuing, living. It's being connected to the vine. 
and letting him share life and love with you that we don't have on our own. And that's what will flow out of us. That will be, that was what will be produced is the fruit. And it will show. And it won't be perfect. And that's why he, he says, you know, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. We have someone who, has, who stands before us and gives us his righteousness because we don't do everything right. So this week, as you begin to make your lists, if, you, if you're the kind of person that likes to work on these things and, and add to your columns of good and evil, and we work through this high standard of obedience to God's commands that we're going to read about, I want us to remember to keep relationship number one. Enter into communion this week through worship, Listen to God through his word and in prayer and thanks. Giving thanks for me probably has been the number one thing that has changed my relationship with God. Just as that natural habit. Every time I give thanks, all of a sudden, I start feeling better. It's amazing how well that works. And then who you are in him will produce what you do. Instead of focusing on trying to do everything right, first focus on who you are in him, and then you will see the fruit of what you do. And that, my friends, is the introduction to 1 John.